Hello and welcome back to episode 18 of Long Ball Football, a weekly podcast by two English brothers about all things football in Portugal. You're listening to myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother, Barney. How's it going, Barney? How's your week been? Yeah, really good, man. Um, our 18th episode, isn't it? 18th episode. Yeah, I was going to ask you who your favourite number 18 is in football. The whole of football or Portuguese football? It's hard to think of many in Portugal. It doesn't seem like a popular number. Yeah, the only one I can think of is Tadeba. I don't think he's exactly a, a legend at, at the club. A Manifa. Manifa. Probably my favourite one uh, was Dirk Cow at Liverpool. Nice. From my brief stint as a Liverpool fan back in primary school. Yeah, he, I always liked him. I don't know if I need to ask you what yours is. Oh, it's Paul Scholes. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think it's important. People, like, I didn't really support Manu. I supported Paul Scholes. So um, yeah. I went to his testimony as well, which I cried at as well. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I think Bruno Fernandes is the perfect player to take his shirt at Manu at the moment, number 18. I, d- I don't mind that. I really hated it when Ashley Young had it because it just made no sense. If you haven't worked out by now, Barney's got a thing about shirt numbers. Oh, massive thing. You can't have a winger wearing 18. You know, yeah. just because I feel like Paul Scholes has immortalised that number as a central midfield, slightly attacking, you know, scoring screamers on the edge of the box when it comes out from a corner. Yeah, that sort of player can wear the 18 shirt. <laughs> What's your, should we flip that around? What's your least favourite shirt number uh, in the Portuguese league at the moment? I think it was one I saw yesterday for um, Ferenz. Because I love I love it when teams, that's what I like about the Portuguese league, that they can have any number they want. You know, it's not like in England where you have to be in like sort of chronological order unless you're in the youth team or whatever. So I love that you can sort of pick any number. But then, yeah, there's just, there's someone, I think a Ferenz player wearing number 41. Mm. Which I don't know. I've never seen. I don't think I've ever seen that squad number before. I thought it was a bit weird. Uh, numbers in the forties don't always sit right for me. A Delta out wearing number forty nine is the one that I'll make an exception for. I quite like that. And forty two when Yaya Torre used to wear that. I like. I like that. Yeah, of course. Yaya Torre, obviously a late Orient legend. After his time <laughs> spent training with the club this summer. <laughs> well, it's a slightly different podcast today. Well, for one thing, we're recording at eight thirty in the morning. We usually record this on a Monday night, but because there were so many important games happening on Monday we decided to reschedule to do this podcast before work on a Tuesday morning. Uh, it was my idea. Uh, I had grand plans to you know, wake up 7.45, have a shower, have some breakfast, read my notes, get ready for the podcast. I woke up at 7.30, went back to sleep, uh, woke up at 8.20, and now it's 8.30 and we are here doing the podcast. So we'll see how this one goes. <laughs> I don't know why you stopped texting me. <laughs> <laughs> so if you notice, if you notice any uh, lapse in energy this morning, I'm yet to eat my cereal. So uh, we'll do our best. I've just had a nice big bowl of a crunch nut cluster. So I'm all set. Body's ready to go. Well, we should probably kick off this week with uh, the most important game of the weekend by far. One of the most important games of the season, and that was the uh, Tassa de Liga final between Braga and Sporting. Good build up to this game during the week. We had the semi-finals, both Benfica and Porto lost in the semi-final. I don't know what you made of those games, Barney. I was just really impressed, you know. Um, first of all, Porto have never won this competition. So I don't know if that would have been in their minds or conscious how would have been thinking like, oh, I need a big competition to win. I guess it's similar with the League Cup, isn't it? Some people think it's a bit pointless, but then other people see it as an opportunity to sort of build momentum, go on a good run, build confidence. I mean, Benfica certainly need that, I feel. But yeah, I mean, a great result for Braga beating them. Just matched them really well. I mean, there's obviously quite a few changes similar to the game we saw yesterday uh, due to COVID, but um, still a strong team from Benfica and Braga just did, yeah, just a professional performance, you know. I think they'll be happy with that after losing to Passos. Yeah, after watching both those games, I definitely think the two teams 
who made it to the final deserved to be there. Uh, so we watched the final on Saturday. Uh, in the end, Sporting beat Braga 1-0 to lift the trophy for the third time in four years. But I think we should tackle, first of all, Barney, the elephant in the room about this game, which was that it was a very poor game of football. Uh, the conditions were tough. Pitch was in really bad condition. In the end, it's a game that will probably be remembered for events off the pitch rather than on it. Uh, we'll come to those in just a moment. But uh, I do want to get your assessment of the actual game of football that we watched on Saturday, Barney. The, the pitch was so bad, wasn't it? It was awful. When they first got kick, started kicked off and like there was all these puddles and the ball just stuck and dead. Yeah, it just stopped a few passages of play. I thought, in my head, I remember Braga sort of having a few opportunities to break and just, you know, the ball just not moving where they're anticipating it. Personally, I think Braga looked the better team going forward compared to Sporting. I, I think it was quite difficult to separate them. I think overall, I agree with you. I think Sporting edged it slightly in the first half. Uh, I think Braga hadn't really got to grips with the conditions and was trying to play the wrong game uh, for the conditions. But I thought Braga were much better in the second half. Overall, I think Sporting probably had the better chances. They did have one or two moments of magic, which were enough to see them over the line uh, I thought that was what separated the two teams in the end. The first goal was uh, a really lovely instinctive through ball from Ignacio, I believe. Uh, really caught the Braga defence napping. Lovely finish from Pedro Porro. They had a similar moment of inspiration a few minutes later. Pedro Gonzalez went on a lovely solo run. But yeah, overall for me, it came down to those fine margins. Uh, and it was just about Sporting's ability to come up with those little moments of magic uh, that set them apart for me. Yeah, I agree with that. I think... Um... And Nashia had a good game, I actually thought, in that um, right side of that position. I thought there's a few times he put a few decent balls forward. And Pedro Porro as well. I mean, he was sharp to, you know, anticipate that ball, see the space, attack, attack it. And there was, a, I mean, a solid finish as well. I was disappointed. Um, they obviously gave Irvan Cabral the start after his two late goals, getting them to the final, um, having come on in that game against Porto. I was disappointed to see him come off at half-time. I don't think he really was given a chance to make a mark really and you know he was obviously gutted I think uh, when he scored those two winners against Porto I mean uh, he was some people were even saying he was crying he just didn't really celebrate I think he's he's clearly not happy with the chances he's getting really um, and a big statement from Amarin to sort of take him off at half time Yeah Amarin does seem to make quite a few big statements in his squad selection really especially in those upfront positions Obviously, it's difficult because they've got a lot of attacking players and, and Amram's being very loyal to the ones that are performing well in the league. So there's very little rotation happening, which on the one hand, you can say it's a brave choice because he's not just trying to keep everybody happy and he's just doing what's best for the team. But then, you know, on the other hand, in a long season with a lot of different competitions, you're going to rely on these players and you're going to need your whole squad to be ready to come in and play. Uh, I thought Cabral did that in the semi-final, of course. But yeah, something clearly wasn't right in the final. Coming for a half-time, there's no reason for that other than your manager telling you you're not doing well enough. Yeah, I mean, fair play to him. He was on the touchline, on the bench, you know, watching the rest of the game really with with his team, you know, wanting to win. But um, uh, there's a couple of times this season out where I feel like, I thought that the defence in this game were fantastic. I thought Fidel and Kratos as well were just phenomenal. But it's the attacking players, isn't it, for Sporting? They just sometimes, passages of play just don't link together. They don't. You know, there's not, there's not much spark really sometimes in this in this attack. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. Although I think that's a re more recent thing. I think we've seen them play really good attacking football in the past. We spoke about some of their recent performances have not been as good as we've come to expect. So, you know, perhaps they need one or two new ideas. And and then again, that might be another reason to suggest bringing in a different type of player to play up front, somebody who's hungry to score, 
that obviously worked with Cabral in the semi-final. Uh, I wanted to talk about Braga quickly, Barney, because like I touched on earlier, their performance wasn't awful by any means. But for me, I just think they struggled to read the occasion uh, and they struggled to read the game. They tried to play their usual football, which we love to watch. I think they should have cottoned on sooner that it wasn't going to work in this game. And in the end, I thought they just struggled to make any clear-cut chances and they never really looked like troubling uh, Sporting's goal. The one thing I was thinking about is they went with Castro and Ali Mizrati with sort of Francesino just ahead of them. I always think of sort of both Castro and Mizrati as defensive-minded midfielders. I wonder if they could have taken a bit more of a chance and just gone with one of them and sort of given a more creative player a role in there just to sort of, I don't know, because, you know, Sporting played with just the two in midfield and they could sort of overrun them a bit. Paulinho was an interesting one for me, wasn't he? Because he, he came on late in the semi-final against Benfica and then he came on late this time. So he's clearly not 100% fit. But like you said, with the way the game was going and the way we sort of had to play with these conditions, he definitely would have been better suited than Abel Ruiz for me. Whether he could have come a bit earlier or whether you know they could have maybe not brought him on against Benfica and given him few more minutes in this game I don't know I feel like Carlos Carvalho doesn't want to play him presumably he's not completely ready to play it after his injury but you know when you're chasing the game in the final you've you got to bring your best players on so I think Carvalho's hand was forced in that sense and in an ideal world he wouldn't have played we're touching on the managers there Barney we should talk about one of the most bizarre moments in the game and that was when both managers were sent off at the same time, I'm not entirely sure what happened. Obviously, they were having a bit of a go at each other on the touchline, but it seemed like they sorted it out amongst themselves. Uh, but before you know it, the ref comes sprinting over to the touchline and shows both Cavalier and Abra in the red card. And the look on Cavalier's face was priceless. <laughs> I mean, this ref was... Oh, I, I hate these sort of referees, man. I mean, even when he's booking the players, you know, he just sort of stands in front of them holding the card without saying a single word, not explaining his decision at all. And just sort of stares him down. I, I don't like that. I think he needs to communicate as a referee. It's fair to say that the ref didn't have a great game. I think there were some some decisions that I found quite bizarre. I thought the decision to send both the managers off was very premature. Uh, I think the problem I had with the ref is that he didn't do anything to to calm the game down because he. You can obviously see that there was you know tempers were quite high in the game from the managers and from some of the players. It's understandable at the end of the day. It's a cup final. The conditions were awful. The players were probably frustrated and fired up at the same time so there was going to be sparks ref didn't do anything to really give the game a chance if anything i think he exacerbated one or two situations i mean pedro gustavo was getting sent off was i don't know it just seemed a little bit malicious from the ref almost like you know it was he, he sort of relished that moment to give him the second yellow or whatever it was and i don't know if that means that he misses the next game because i think um suspensions in this cup game do carry on into the league as far as i'm aware i think um pedro gustavo misses the next game but uh Ruben Amarim will be back on the touchline. Uh, it was interesting to see Ruben Amarim celebrating from the stands uh, after he'd been sent off. I do think he slightly out-tacticked uh, Cavaliao in this game, but I don't know what you think about it. One, I mean, one thing I thought I was thinking of is that, I mean, the way he's got Sporting playing this season is just incredible. And this is first, like, I mean, he obviously managed Braga for a few games in the last season, but this is like his first proper managerial job. He just got his his coaching badges, like, even just a few weeks ago. Um, and yeah, when he's up, he, they were up at the stands for like, what, definitely the second half, wasn't it? I, I, I was just thinking like, you know, he hasn't, got, he's there making decisions. He was clearly in his head, like just pacing up and down. He was so engrossed in this game. And like, he doesn't have the rest of the bench, he doesn't have the rest of the coaches to sort of talk over decisions, make calls, like lib- deliberate about what they're going to do. It's just it's just him and his head. And I think he got it spot on. I think they saw the game out. Um, I thought his substitutions 
were good. I think he made he made them a bit earlier than he usually does. Uh, you know, taking Jao Mari off in 70 minutes, who's probably one of your most composed and experienced players in that midfield. Um, to bring on Mateus Nunes, who had a lot of energy closing down, you know, what did put a lot of work in when he came on. I'm just really, really impressed with him. Well, they're top of the league for a reason. He's definitely been one of these standout managers uh, of the season so far. They just look like winners, don't they? They play with almost a bit of swagger. They're very confident. It's just so impressive for such young managers to build from the back, build his defence up and sort of will take it from there. I mean, they've only conceded nine goals this season and they just look like winners. They look like the best team in the league when they play. Well, I find it very hard to disagree with that. And of course, Sporting are playing tonight against Boa Vista. We won't have a chance to discuss that game this week, but a win for them uh, will see them go back to being four points clear at the top of the Primera Liga. Uh, and of course, there was plenty of Primera Liga action to discuss over the weekend, including games from Benfica and Porto. Right, well, let's move on to the Primera Liga. And this week, both Benfica and Porto were in action. Benfica played CD Nacional. Uh, there was an awful lot of build-up to this game, most notably because Benfica had recorded 10 players who were unavailable due to testing positive for coronavirus. They had requested the game be postponed, something Nacional rejected. Uh, so the game went ahead and it ended 1-1 at full time. Benfica initially started very brightly, going a goal ahead before tailing off as the game went on and conceding an equaliser. Barney... I wanted to ask you, how much of this result do you put down to them having 10 first-team players unavailable? Personally, no. I don't even want to entertain the idea that this could be down to them not having players. I mean, obviously, the defence line, the, the back line was, a, you know, a completely different back line from what they usually go with. However, they're, you know, Farrow's played this season. He played a lot of last season. Jardel's an experienced player in this league. Um, and then the rest of the team is basically, like, you know, their first team apart from, you know, Everton not being in the squad. I've, you know, but otherwise, this is a, a team they've pretty much gone with. But I do want to discuss, however, this this whole thing about whether the game should have gone ahead. The fact that CD National seems to have a same if it would go ahead or not. Mm. Uh, and it's quite confusing because I think there's two ways to think about it. I mean, the first thing is if it was the other way around and CD National had 10 players out, would Benfica rearrange the game? And for me, I would say no, they of tax schedule there's nowhere to fit it in but then also if you're CD National and you had 10 people out could you even feel this like imagine CD National's 11 they don't have the depth that Benfica have but regardless I don't understand how it's coming down to CD National deciding like it just doesn't seem fair yeah the decision should not be with the team to decide whether or not they're going to let the game go ahead there should be somebody deciding whether or not it happens I think there were games called off earlier in the season weren't they for coronavirus cases I think you, you reminded me that Sporting's first game of the season was postponed uh, due to positive coronavirus cases. So, yeah, it seems like a totally ridiculous way of doing things. Obviously, these coronavirus cases are uh, a bad thing for, for Benfica in terms of what squad they're able to select. But for a lot of these players coming into the team, I think this is actually a very good opportunity. I mean, Cherby's a player who I can't remember playing a game all season. He's now had two games in a row. And he looks really effective down that left-hand side. His style of play reminds me uh, of how Grimaldo plays in that position. I think he's shown that he's capable of playing uh, in a system that George Jesus wants. I think his game as a left-footed winger playing on the left side is suited to Benfica at the moment, who are clearly looking to supply balls into the box for Darwin and Seferovic to attack. There's all this talk about George Jesus wanting to move the team into a three at the back. He's putting himself out there to say, look, I can play 
on that left-hand side of midfield almost as a left wing back. So he's a player who I think uh, has done well coming into the side. Chiquinho, another one, a start for him in this game. He came on as a sub against Braga, looks pretty hungry, had good energy in the game. Uh, he had the ball in the back of the net twice, although the first one was all out for offside. Uh, so there's a number of players I could also mention. Ferro, the youngster, Joao Ferreira at right back. A good opportunity for him, especially given the problems that Benfica are having at right back. He had a decent game as well. He had an assist chalked off for offside. But yeah, for me, there are opportunities there for some of these players, uh, some of the less fashionable players in this Benfica team to make a name for themselves. Yeah, I agree with you and Chervi. I think um, he looks, yeah, like you said, he looked good in the Braga uh, semi-final as well. It's just a shame is that it's taking, you know, the players being out of COVID for some players to get an opportunity. I mean, we did see Pedrino come on in this game and he, he didn't really do much. I mean, that's not the first time that's happened this season. It's just unfortunate, isn't it? Because uh, you need, he needs minutes. I mean, in Brazil, he was starting every game and, you know, and then suddenly he's moved over to Benfica and he just gets a few 20 minute, 10 minute goes at the end of the game. And they've put a lot of money on him. And so far, we haven't had the opportunity to see where that money's gone to. I think it's difficult for him because obviously he hasn't been, he hasn't been good enough so far. It feels very harsh to say that because he just hasn't been given the opportunities. It's also easy for us to underestimate how big of a deal it is moving from Brazil to Portugal. It's quite easy to assume that because there's a familiar language there and because a lot of players do make that move, it's somehow an easier move than for going to somewhere else in Europe. But, you know, he's a young player, he's settling into a country thousands of miles away from his home. So uh, it's probably difficult. But ultimately, Barney, Benfica failed to put another game to bed after going 1-0 ahead. It was a very similar story for me. We've talked an awful lot about them being unable to create chances and unable to score goals. They only had two shots on target, which is the same as Nacional. They had slightly more possession, but ultimately they couldn't stamp their dominance on the game uh, despite starting very brightly. Uh, To quickly go back to when you were mentioning that he's looking to go free at the back. One, I can't believe that because he showed absolutely no sign of variation this season whatsoever. I mean, (laughs) but that would, I'd absolutely love that so much. Like I did a bit of research into his tactics when he was at Sporting before he went to Brazil and it's similar tactics. No, it's still the 4-4-2, but they press and they attack and like, and the only time we've seen that was that game against Porto this season. I don't know if it's just that clubs are wise to it now. You know, more often than not, they're basically playing 4 4 aren't they? Because the, the wide midfielders just play against the, the fullbacks, the opposing team. And I think that's just too easy to defend against because what you go two banks of four, you do a bank of four and a five. I feel like the, there's no opportunity for Benfica to shift that defense defence to one side or over you know what I mean if there was a free midfield they were able to drag defenders out of position but because they're set up with this such a standard formation I feel like it's quite easy to just back up and defend again I think they're just crying out for a bit of variation you know some more ideas because they seem to just go into every game set up exactly the same and it's the same problems that they encounter you know, it's that typical cliche of the definition of madness is doing the same thing and expecting different results. So they unfortunately succumb to a, another disappointing, uh, different, disappointing result. I wanted, of course, to speak about Nacional a little bit, but to be totally frank, there was nothing exceptional about this Nacional performance. They really didn't offer some incredible solution to Benfica's tactics. It was just a case of Benfica failing to create more than one goal and then letting an equaliser in quite easily. I mean, to give credit to Nacional, I think they did defend very well in in passages. Um, I think of that Rui Carrera block where he just slid in. Uh, that was brilliant. I think he got injured in that, actually. But then, yeah, Pedro, I thought the other centre-back looked decent. Kalindi, the right-back as well, I, 
the first podcast we did, Albert, I had loads of notes on him. Um, but he looked good. I think he could, like, you know, he dealt with uh, Chiquinho quite well. But yeah, I still agree with you. I mean, apart from that call of routine, there was just no no real attack. I mean, Benfica would be just, it's just what they do. They don't have, they, they get a, a goal and then they don't get another one. And it seems like the other team get a draw and then they might, Benfica might get a late goal to kill the game off. But we've just seen that so many times this season. It's very true. It seems incredible, Barney, to think that the last time these two teams met in the league, Benfica won 10-0. It just seems like a world away from the Benfica team that we're seeing now. And of course, the most important thing about this game, Barney, is the fact that it means Benfica dropped two points in the league in what is a very congested title race. It was something that Porto really would have wanted to capitalise on, especially given the fact that Sporting also dropped a couple of points uh, against Rio Ave in the league a couple of weekends ago. Uh, they managed a 1-0 victory over Forens. Forens, a team desperately trying to get out of the bottom three. And it was far from a vintage Porto performance, but at the moment, it's much more important that they just get those three points over the line. It's the smart thing to do. And I was I was slightly disappointed in this game because Forens were seems to be get, almost getting themselves in it and knocking on the door for a goal, but Conscious Al brought in an extra centre-back. And that was quite early, you know, like 70 minutes, 75 minutes. And I was disappointed because, you know, you feel like one of the best squads in the league against, let's not be around the bush, the worst squad in the league. You know, they should be attacking, 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 you know. But it was smart and he definitely would have had Benfica's draw in his head going into this game. I mean, it was a really strange one for Poirier. They looked pretty good, but they definitely struggled to really get into a rhythm. And I think that is uh, to the credit of Forens more than anything. But they did get a goal. Uh, and while they kind of pushed for the second, I agree with you, they they cottoned on pretty quickly to the fact that the best way for them to see this game out was to sit back and sort of soak up any forensic attack, knowing that realistically their defence was more than well equipped to deal with anything uh, forensic for them. Forensic for me, they showed a lot of endeavour, a lot of passion. Of course, their talisman, Ryan Gould, really led by example. I thought he was outstanding once again today. Uh, but the sad and honest truth of this Florence team is that they just are really lacking in quality. It's so difficult for a team like them in a game uh, like this one against one of their toughest opponents where you know you're going to be working hard all game, you know you're going to have to run yourself in the ground just to even stand a chance. You know your chances to score are going to be so limited. And it was just such a shame that despite all the hard work and effort, the reality is that they just did not have the quality on the pitch to convert the one or two chances that came their way. Sorry, just to quickly go back to Ryan Gould, just to pay homage to that trap back and block <laughs> he did. That was oh, unreal. Fantastic. I thought Friends came out the second half and I I thought they were really smart, you know. I think they must have looked at that Porto-Benfica game where, you know, Benfica harassed, they were played at a very quick pace, you know, and we talked about it last week where, you know, Porto didn't seem to like that that much. They, and so every throw on, every uh, free kick they got, they were just so quick to play it. And I think that really worked for them. I think, but yeah, like it's, it's just the, the quality up front, you know, it's just, and at the back, it's just, it's just a different class really, isn't it? They they do look like a team who've just come up. It could have been a different result, but a couple of penalty shouts in this game for Ferenc. Uh One for a, a potential handball uh, from Corona in the box and the second from when the Ferenc striker was through on goal and he was fouled by, I believe it was in Bemba, but I think that one was just outside of the box. Either of those penalties for you, none of them were given. No, it's just not enough in it. I I don't know if Mbembo could have been a free kick, but I think that was offside in the build-up, wasn't it? Yeah, and I think the Corona handball, his, his hand was pretty much against his body, so it was a pretty difficult one to give. Uh, it's a win for Porto, Barney, and, and most importantly, it's three points that, as I said before, with Benfica dropping points, with Sporting dropping points in recent times, it's going to be very important for them. I can't help but feel like the team that comes out on top this season, Barney, will be the team with the most consistency. And I think Porto have got both squad depth as well as the right mentality 
needed to see out games as we saw in this game against Florence. I think Benfica have got the squad depth and I think Sporting have got the mentality but not the squad depth. So the fact that Porto have got both over the course of a long season could be a huge, huge asset in this title race. I mean, I, I agree with you there. Just to confirm, are you saying Porto are going to win the league? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm keeping my mouth shut. I'm saying nothing. <laughs> no, no, but also, also, all I'm saying is that, you know, it's quite easy to get carried away with uh, short-term results. You know, obviously, sporting four points ahead at the top of the table this season, but it's a long season. There's still over half the games to play, and I think Porto are in a very good position as I said, because they've got good squad depth and it seems like they've got their mentality right at the moment. I mean, just to touch on one more point before we move on, I mean, Taremi's now got seven goals in 14 games this season. At the same point last year, he only had five. So he could be on for being his 18 goals in the season. I mean, he's, it's just one of those strikers you just know he's in the right place. Yeah, an awful lot of positives for Porter to take from this game and to look forward to the rest of the season. Uh, there were still plenty of other important results throughout the weekend, Barney. Uh, we're going to do a little run-through of all the games that happened over the weekend, just to touch on some of the important results, starting at the top end of the table. Did Passos de Ferreira continue to impress? They beat Maritimo 3-0 with goals from Bruno Costa, Luis Carlos and Luther Singh. They're a team I can't get enough of at the moment, Barney. They're in great form, they're playing great football, and that's a win that took them above Braga into fourth place, albeit Braga having the game in hand. It's four wins in a row now. I mean, it's quite mm. rare that you see a team outside the big three getting that sort of run of form in this league. Is it time to start the Bruno Costa transfer chat and just sort of predict where he's going to be next season? I think Passos fans would hate us for it, but I mean, they're going to struggle to keep hold of him. He's been a star this season. Well, this is it, Albert. He's actually on loan from Porto Menendez, having moved to Porto Menendez from Porto in 2018. I think Porto will have first refusal on any transfer for Bruno Costa. And the reason that... I was bringing this up because I was going to ask you what team can you see him fitting in. For me, it was Porto. I can see him playing one of those wide midfield roles like Otavio does. I think he'd be a great replacement for Otavio, especially as it seems like Otavio might be moving on. Porto will be looking at um, alternatives to him. I think he'd, I think he'd do really well there. Uh, I think he'd do well at any of the big three. To be honest, Bonnie, he, he could be an asset to any team. I think he's just a, you know, a creative player who who knows how to make a difference in a game, and he's proven that he can do it in a team who aren't one of the biggest teams on paper. I think it's worth talking about another player who had a great game. And how nice was it to see Luis Carlos being awarded man of the match, 35 years old. The guy is still bossing games. There's so many players that we could mention in the team as well, by the way. Uh, Luther Singh, the South African international, was another standout player. But uh, yeah, Luis Carlos, what a performance. His first goal in six years, I believe. <laughs> what a time to break your drought. I mean, uh, like you mentioned earlier, this puts Passos... A point above Braga, two points above Vittorio, above Vittorio Grinish, both you have a game in hand. The momentum's with them. It's always better to be the team ahead with the people chasing you. You know, even if it is games hand, it's just putting that pressure on Braga. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's you can in football, you cannot underestimate the importance of momentum. And at this point in time, the momentum is firmly with Passos. Uh, I was slightly surprised to see Maritimo beaten in such a comprehensive manner, though, because they've looked like a much improved team in recent times. Milton Mendes has come in as manager and done a very good job. Uh, but Passos just outplayed them, I thought. Well, another game I wanted to talk about, Barney, that happened on the same day, this was on Sunday, was Morens versus Portimonense. It's an interesting one, Barney, because it ended 2-2. Morens at home would probably have gone into the game slight favourites. They were above Portimonense in the table. Portimonense have spent most of the season in the relegation zone, but they've had some decent results in recent games. It's now two wins and a draw in their last four games. Very respectable. They're a length in the table. There's a lot to be positive about, and it was a really great game. 
it has to be said, Warren's played largely the better football, I thought, had the better chances. They came back from 1-0 down to lead 2-1. Uh, but in the end, Porto Lens popped up in the last few minutes of the game with an equaliser. Morarens had a 90th minute penalty saved to keep the game at 2-2. So it was a really exciting game. I'm not sure if you catched any of this one. I saw a bit of the highlights. I mean, yeah, they say Porto Lens, they have always felt like they're going to be in and around that relegation zone, but they have been popping up with a few decent results here and there. Um, Morins are still looking to get going on. They're still looking to get things together. I don't know if it's just the uh, Mizuno kit that makes me love Portimonense, but uh, I, I quite <laughs> like them. They're my underdog team, I think. Listen, I'm, I agree with you on that one. And the last game on Sunday, Barney, was Family Cow versus Victoria Gimaraj. 1-0 to Victoria Gimaraj. I was interested to see this game because we've talked a lot about Family Cow signings uh, and improved performances. I think on paper, you might think that a 1-0 loss to Gibraltar was a bad thing. But given the fact that we saw Victoria win 4-0 against National last last week, to keep that result down to 1-0, you could say there is a positive aspect to that result. Yeah, I think Victoria and Gibraltar have definitely improved, aren't they? They seem to have clicked a bit more. I think they've sort of almost settled on Edwards on the left now, Charisma on the right. I mean, that game against Cedar National, there's some beautiful goals in that game, wasn't there, on the Thursday? Charisma was classy outside the foot. Kenji Gore even with a, with a screamer from about 30 yards. I've got a useless stat for you about Vittorio Gomorrah, actually, Albert. Go on. If only goals from Portuguese players were counted in this league, they'd be second to Porto. Wow, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Well, it was one of their young Portuguese players who got the goal, Barney. I really want to talk about this guy, Andre Almeida, only 20 years old. A Gomorrah boy through and through. A product of the Vittorio Youth Academy, born in the city. He's a player who's come about with not a lot of fanfare. I think it's it's very easy for young players from teams outside of the top three to kind of slip through the cracks and not be seen as bright young players. But he's been absolutely fantastic. I was really impressed by his performance. He played in that 4-0 win against National. I thought he was excellent there. Uh, and he got his goal against Family Cal. It's been some very impressive performances from this young man. And I think he's one to keep an eye on. I know they've had, a, I've got a few injuries in midfield, uh, Victoria, but he's still... Getting starts, you know, ahead of a few players like uh, Dennis Poha and Nicolas Jean-Vier, uh, Miguel Lewis, or Casado, I think he's just come back. But, you know, he's been given the opportunity this season and he's really taken it. It's been good to see. Just to move on to the two games that happened on Monday outside of the big three, Barney. Belenlens SAD beat Tondela 2-0 uh, and Santa Clara beat Rio Ave 2-1. So some interesting results there. Uh, Belenlens, we've seen them play very well. Uh, defensively this season and pick up some good results. So I think they'll be pleased with that 2-0 win over Tondela. Uh, but Rio Ave for me, Barney, was the game that stuck out. They lost 2-1 to Santa Clara. We've been impressed with Rio Ave in their last two or three games. They seem to be turning a corner under their new manager, but they went down 2-1 losers to Santa Clara and a bit, of a, a bit of a surprise result for me. It's an interesting one. I particularly thinking of it in terms of Santa Clara because um, interestingly, they actually only have one point more than they did at this point last season. And they're in eighth this season, but they would have been in 15th last season. So I think that sort of shows that the, the, this season is so different and the lower half of the table where people have been performing so poorly. If you think of it in that sense, Real should have been beating this team. I think it was basically the same team that played against Sporting when they had that good draw. I think the only difference was Machino coming in for Carlos Mane, who got a lovely goal in this game as well. I think every time he started, he's got a goal, which is... Um, yeah, it just needs to be starting more. Well, this game was notable for two contributions from Japanese players, Barney. Ryotaro Machine, obviously a player we've talked about a few times before, uh, scored the goal for Rio Ave. Uh, but it was Hidamasa Morita, a recent Japanese signing for Santa Clara, who scored uh, the winner in the 89th minute on his debut. A really nice story. Uh, but you have to watch the highlights for this game, Barney. The highlights are hilarious. The amount of fog on the pitch, you literally cannot see a single thing that's happening. I don't know how the players managed to score, but apparently it was a good goal. 
I, there was one and camera angle where you could actually see what was going on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and it, I mean, I don't know what he's doing up there. I mean, and the highlights of this game, he's, um, you know, he's a defensive midfielder. He's like just ahead of the back line. Um, and then suddenly in the 90th minute, he's popping up nice chest down and then the body into the bottom corner. The beautiful uh, gold Mizuno boots. Uh, sorry, I feel like I keep talking about Mizuno as if we're sponsored, but... You're angling for a sponsorship, aren't you, Barney? I would love some of the Mizuno boots, yeah. So, uh... <laughs> But no, I mean, how great for him. Like I said, I don't know what he's doing up there. But, I mean, if he's got the energy in 90 minutes of being played defensive midfield all game to bomb up and get, get that winner, that's fantastic. I would just quickly before we move on there. I mean, I just I just found out this morning that Osama Rashid, the Iraqi midfielder for Santa Clara, looks like he's just moved to Turkey. He's been ever present in that midfield. I'm not sure if he's even the captain uh, in in most games in that midfield. Santa Clara he looks like a really good. Well, I've I've liked him when I've seen him. So you know they've lost um, Thiago Santana now. They've, they lost him. Um, so if they can if they can stay at the centre table, that'd be remarkable for me. But yeah, that's not to take away from this result. I mean, it's a, it's a solid result against Riyadh. Well, it's a fantastic result, and it's a result, Barney, that puts them up to seventh place. So I think Santa Clara have kind of gone under the radar this season. They had a really fantastic start when Thiago Santana was bagging in the goals, then they kind of dropped off a bit, but now they currently sit seventh in the table, Rio having 12th. We're just going to quickly run you through the t- how the table's looking. Obviously, Sporting, Porto and Benfica make up the top three. Passos Ferreira overtook Braga in fourth place with Braga uh, playing tonight, playing their game in hand. And the rest of the table is as packed as always. You've got Morarens, Maritimo, Belenense SAD, Porto Menens, Rio Ave, Tondela, uh, all making up those mid-table spaces, only three points between them. Uh, and if you look at the bottom of the table, you've got Gilles Vicente, Ferenc and Boavista in the bottom three uh, with Famalicao and Nacional a couple of points ahead of them. What do you make of the table at this point in the season? It seems to be that people are able to take points of almost anyone. I think it's important though to remember that what we come into a period where, where there's a game almost every day until 5th of Feb or something like that. It's a ridiculous schedule coming up. Yeah, including cup fixtures, that is, yeah. That's when you're going to start looking to your squad depth. And that's perhaps where we could be sort of seeing some of the teams who've been in this league a bit longer, maybe have a bit, slightly better squads, hoping to just break away from that relegation zone. Yeah, I think with all these pack fixtures coming up, it's probably that time of the season where we'll start to see some teams move away from the bottom end of the table we'll start to see the table shape up a little bit more because it is very close as it stands I think that brings us nicely on to next weekend's action as we look ahead to some of the games happening then some cup action happening this week you've got Benfica versus Belenese SAD in the cup on Thursday you've got Braga versus Santa Clara and Gil Vicente versus Porto uh, in the cup on Friday on that Albert I think I can see Benfica losing to Belenense. I think Belenense is the last team they want to come up against really why is that just because of how good they are defending Belenens and sort of that's what we've seen with Benfica. If you not frustrate them, but if you just don't let them in, they're just not gonna. There's not gonna be any quality chances for them. Yeah, it's a very good point, and we've seen how good Belenens can be defensively. And and as you say, it seems like exactly the type of team that Benfica seem to do poorly against. Well, if we look ahead to some of the Premier League fixtures, Barney, of course the biggest game coming up will be on Monday the 1st of February and that's the Lisbon Derby Benfica versus Sporting 9.30 on Monday night live on Free Sports it's going to be a fantastic game really looking forward to that one how do you see that one going? It's, it's a massive game I think it's more important for Benfica than it is for Sporting personally Well in terms of morale I think definitely because Benfica will be looking to uh, prove themselves in this league really but for Sporting we've spoken before about the importance of these head-to-heads if Sporting are going to have a realistic chance of winning this season uh, and not just looking back on the season and thinking about what could have been. This is exactly the type of game that they're going to have to win. Uh, and I think Ruben Amarim is going to be so up for this game. 
Admiral will be up for it. And I wonder if um, Jesus as well, because yeah, you know, wore a suit to Porto for the for the league game there, but then you know he's he's in the tracksuit again for when Cedar National come to town and they get a draw. <laughs> but like I don't know, I don't know what that says. Uh, for me, it's, it says a little something, you know. If, if it says that he's taking, it says that he takes the big games more seriously than the small ones, and maybe that's been to his detriment this season. And credit to them against when they played against Porto, that performance was brilliant and. If they if they're in the same mood as they are for the sporting game, then you know that could be one of sport that probably sporting's toughest game this season. Well, we'll have to wait and see which Benfica turn up against Sporting. The Benfica we've seen against Porto or the Benfica we saw against Nacional this week. Again, just to reiterate, that game is on Monday, the 1st of February at 9.30, live on Free Sports. Uh, and just quickly before we go, Barney, the last game that I want to pick up on uh, over the weekend, Saturday the 30th of January at 8.30, Porto Menendez versus Boa Vista, two teams at the lower end of the table. And a really nice treat because that one's going to be uh, on the live score app, uh, available to watch for all UK viewers. They usually only reserve their coverage for the big three. So that's a, for anybody listening who's not watched those teams closely this season, that's a really good opportunity uh, to catch those two teams play. Right, well, that's about all we've got time for in this episode of Long Ball Football. Myself and Barney will, of course, be back next week discussing all the news and games. And with the end of the January transfer window, I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about uh, in terms of transfers. Uh, if you enjoy listening to the show, why not leave us a little review on Apple Podcasts? Or if you don't use Apple Podcasts, you can send it to a mate who you think might enjoy it. We really do appreciate uh, any support. If you want to get in contact with the show, you can find us on Twitter at Longball Football, or you can email us at longballfootball on gmail.com. But for now, that just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. See you next week. Maybe we should just start singing the music ourselves and get kazoos out. When we get the inevitable, when we get the inevitable um, copyright strike from <laughs> from Quantic, we can just recreate the music ourselves. <laughs> that would be quite funny, actually. Yeah.